Howdy, howdy, Will. How are you? How's um, how's winter in Pittsburgh? It is good, my brother. I, it's uh, I'm loving the cloud and the cloudiness and the coldness. Not really, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm envious of your LA weather right now. Do you think that seasonal affective disorder is that is that a legitimate thing? I know that when I lived in New York, I oh. definitely felt like I was more yeah. depressed in the winter. Totally. It's a, it's a thing. I mean, there's the benefits, the healing benefits of the sun are very well documented in the literature now. It's it's something that we all have to kind of deal with in uh, cloudier in, in, you know, places around the world. Uh-huh. You know, I actually, I heard something the other day that male pattern baldness is actually a an evolutionary tool to help us absorb more vitamin D as we get older as men. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> wow. I've never, but that's really curious. I'm curious to know more about that. It's yeah. interesting. No, but I've I never mean, heard of it before. The, the low levels of vitamin D obviously have created a whole host of problems, not the least of which uh, can impact our brain health, which um, mm-hmm. is something we talk about today with with our guest, who's a fascinating, uh, fascinating guy, Dr. Daniel Amen. He's a psychiatrist. He actually refers to himself as a neuroscientist because there's so much stigma attached to the term psychiatrist. You would be hard pressed to find someone that knows more about our brain than this guy. He has scanned over, I mean, close to 200,000 different people with his spec scans. He's the director of the Amen Clinics. There's locations all around the country. And he's the best-selling author of over 40 books, including Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, which you may have heard of. And now he's coming out with his newest book, The End of Mental Illness, which we'll be getting into today. Let's get to our conversation with Dr. Amen. Dr. Amen, thank you so much for being on Goopfellas. I'm so grateful to be able to share this with you. So good. The book is rich with so much content. I, I really enjoyed reading it. I mean, when my my job is reading uh, health books and studies and research, and, and sometimes you hear a lot of overlap of information, but not the case with your book. It is so fresh and rich with information. So you call it the end of mental illness. It's a, a Great title, a bold title. Um, can you tell everybody how the book came to be uh, and you know, the way that it is now? I decided to be a psychiatrist 40 years ago, and I always hated the term mental illness because I think it shames people. It stigmatizes people. No one wants to go to get help. When I told my dad I wanted to be a psychiatrist, he asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, Mm -hmm. why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all (laughs) day long. And when we started looking at the brain intensely in the late 1980s and early 1990s, I came to realize these are not mental illnesses. They're brain health issues. And that one distinction changes everything Mm -hmm. because everybody wants a better brain. Nobody wants to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, ADHD, depression, but they want their frontal lobes to work right. They want to have energy and memory and be able to act in ways that get their goals. And I think we need to get rid of the term mental illness and call these things what they really are. And when you get your brain right, your mind follows. So people don't get Mm -hmm. this idea that the brain, the physical functioning of your brain creates your mind. Mm -hmm. And when Mm -hmm. your brain's not right, your mind's not right. Just think about Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease. So I've scanned over 170,000 brains now, and you can just see the deterioration of the brain, which then goes to the deterioration of how they feel, how mm-hmm. they act, mm-hmm. how they think. Don't you find in the West that we like to separate mental health from physical health as somehow they're, they're two separate, but what you're really calling for in the book and, and what I see coming from a functional medicine perspective as well is that mental health is physical health and you're seeing through these, like you said, 170,000 scans of people's brains patterns and not going f- for these sort of broad sweeping overgeneralized approach to mental health. Can you explain about that and how everybody's kind of given the same medication when they are depressed or have a certain uh, diagnosis code, but you're really calling for a personalization as far as, as mental health issues? Well, I love the fact that you're you know, functional medicine, because this is really functional medicine for mental health. And depression, when you start looking 
at people with depression through the lens of imaging, you realize depression's not one thing. And it's, it's just sort of insane. Depression is like chest pain. It's a group of symptoms that have many different causes. Now, if you go to the emergency room with chest pain, nobody gives you a diagnosis of chest pain because it doesn't tell you what's causing it or what to do for it. And depression, what we've seen, your brain can work too hard because you have inflammation. It cannot work hard enough because you've had a head injury or some form of toxic exposure. Um, if you don't look, you end up lumping these things, and then you give everybody an SSRI, something like Prozac or Zoloft or Lexapro, when in large-scale studies, they only work about the same level of placebo. And that sort of should be a scandal that 85% of psychiatric drugs are prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians in seven-minute office visits. Somebody right. should be suspicious that uh, how the heck do you know what's going on in someone's brain unless you actually look? Right. Okay. One of the things that I, I noticed that I kept thinking about as I was reading the book is that you seem to draw this distinction between a faulty brain which I think is very rooted in the way that we think about mental illness or we have thought about mental illness versus mental health and a damaged or an injured or an unhealthy brain. And one, the stigma attached to a faulty brain is that there's something wrong with me. I, I embody a problem. And the other is I, I've experienced either some form of TBI or, or as you said earlier, exposure to, to toxins and there's work that can be done to improve the health of my brain. And I really, I think this is a really interesting distinction. I love that you focus on that. Is this something that um, you're seeing as a shift in the way we're treating mental health across the board, or are we still very much mired in that pharmacological idea that there's a, there's a fundamental problem with our brain and you're gonna be on these SSRIs for the rest of your life? Yeah, no, it's, it's a disaster. But too often people go, oh, well, I have a chemical imbalance. Right. I was born that way because my mom's that way or my dad's that way. And I need to take these for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. which is really insane when you need to think about that, that no one's ever talked to them about vegetables. And right. there's actually a linear correlation between the number of fruits and vegetables you eat a day and your level of happiness. Mm -hmm. No one is talking to them about their thyroid, about their vitamin, vitamin D, D level, exactly. about their level of exercise or mm -hmm. learning how to not believe every stupid thing you think. and. When we get people's brains right, their depression goes away. Mm -hmm. So I did this mm -hmm. big project with Rick Warren and Saddleback Church uh, and Dr. Mike Hyman. We created a program called the Daniel Plan, which mm -hmm. um, was to get the world healthy through religious organizations. And the mm -hmm. first week, 15,000 people signed up. The first year, they lost a quarter of a million pounds. But what we saw was they also lost their antidepressant, that they weren't anxious, that they mm -hmm. were sleeping better. And it's, it's just so clear to me that when we focus on physical health, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. your brain is an organ, like your heart is an organ, right. that people's mental health improves. But you can go to rehab, for right. example, and in the morning, they're giving you sugar cereal and mm -hmm. pancakes and waffles and orange juice and all the things that promote inflammation. Mm -hmm. And they're mm -hmm. not even thinking about brain health. Can you talk a little bit about diabetes? Because that's something that you, you talk about a lot in the book. So if you want to keep your brain healthy mm -hmm. or rescue it if it's headed to the dark place, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And I created this mnemonic, Bright Minds, to help people remember them. And the D is diabetes. That's where you either have high blood sugar or you're diabetic or you're overweight or obese. Both of those are a nightmare for brain function. I've published two studies that show as your weight goes up, 
the actual physical size and function of your brain goes down. And actually, over the weekend, when people were watching the, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, I kept thinking about this. <laughs> I was actually playing with my database, uh, and and I looked at every area of the brain compared to healthy weight, overweight, obese, mm -hmm. morbidly obese. There was a linear correlation as your weight went up every area of the brain activity mm -hmm. went down. And with 72% of us overweight, 40% of us are, are obese, it's the biggest brain drain in the history of the United States. And it's now a national security crisis sure. because 70% mm -hmm. of the people who try to sign up for the Army, for the Marines, for the Navy, for the Air Force, are rejected because they're not healthy enough. Mm -hmm. And Congress actually talking about, well, let's lower the standards so we can get more people in. Yeah. And I was an infantry medic and I uh, was an army officer mm -hmm. for seven years. I'm like, that's a bad idea. Let's yeah. just, you know, lower our standards. No, let's get the population healthy. And not only yes. that, I mean, we're gonna have to deviate funds from, from defense spending and from the military spending budget to healthcare, which healthcare uh, spending, yeah. because it's going to far surpass soon with the, with the, the healthcare crisis we're, 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 we're confronting now, the amount of money that we're going to have to spend on healthcare is going to, it's going to bankrupt every other aspect of every other part of the budget of the, of the government. And we're going at it the wrong way. Yeah. We're not going at it with prevention. No, we're just piling education. more, more band-aids It's on like top. more meds, more yeah. meds. You know, that's the big discussion in Washington. It's like, let's lower the cost. Lower the cost of, of prescription medication. It's, yeah. it's like, oh, Oh, great. Let's get people on more. And for psychiatric drugs, and I'm not opposed to them, but as soon as you start them, they change your brain to need them in order for you to feel normal. So in the book, mm -hmm. there's a whole chapter called Mind Medicine Versus Nutraceuticals. Mm -hmm. And you know, too often your doctor will go, oh, there's no <laughs> science behind supplements. They're just expensive urine. And I'm like, there's 286 references in that chapter. Mm -hmm. Many things have A-level scientific evidence, like saffron for goodness sakes, mm -hmm. uh, saffron for depression. There are over 20 randomized placebo-controlled trials showing saffron is as effective as Prozac, Zoloft, Effexor, and Amipramine. Amazing. I love that chapter because you're right. It is, it's either you know conventional medication and, and natural medicines or nutraceuticals, as you said, are oftentimes treated as just anecdotal or this sort of woo-woo thing. But I love that you're really looking at the scientific literature and showing, look, there's a lot of, of really safe, effective natural options out there for people. Well, and wouldn't you want that? You, you know, it's like I, a zero risk approach. I've had too many people. You know, I put them on an SSRI because I just didn't know better. Mm -hmm. And they became suicidal or they became homicidal. And that happens a couple of times and you're paying attention to your sure. patients. You're seeking, you know, other options. And in medical school, I mean, the first thing they say is first do no harm. Right. And if head to head St. John's wort is as effective as Zoloft, well, why wouldn't you start with that? Now, mm -hmm. right. you know, I'm not necessarily pushing St. John's work because it has its own problems but fish oil compared to prozac it was better actually mm -hmm. in a wow. study from new zealand walking like you're late 45 minutes four times a week was as good as zoloft at 12 weeks but better at 10 months mm -hmm. and then learning how to not believe every stupid thing you think i call it killing the ants in the book and so why not, let's go on fish oil and you walk and I'm gonna teach you not to believe what you think and then let's see how you are in a month rather right. than in a seven minute office visit, leave with a prescription for Lexapro. Yeah. I mean, I, as I was watching the Super Bowl this week and, I, and reading your book concurrently, I kept thinking about these now more and more prevalent cases of CTE and traumatic brain injury and how that's leading to long the long-term effects of, of mental well-being and then I was reading about all the, the spec scans, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the spec scans, because seeing within the brain, actually looking at the, it, it charts blood flow, is that correct? In the, in, this, in the spec scan, seeing the damage of the brain from traumatic brain injury and the long-term effect that has on our well-being is incredible. 
So if you go, hey, Daniel, single most important thing you've learned from 170,000 scans, mm -hmm. mild traumatic brain injury ruins people's lives. Wow. And nobody knows about it mm -hmm. because they end up seeing psychiatrists who virtually never look at the brain. Mm -hmm. So how yeah. would you know? So SPECT, S-P-E-C-T, is a nuclear medicine study that looks at blood flow and activity patterns. It looks at how your brain works. It's different than a CAT scan or mm -hmm. an MRI. They show the structure. SPECT looks at function and mm -hmm. most mental health issues are functional problems in the brain they're not structural and um, I would see damage in people's brains I mean it's so clear and it's not hard to see and I'd go have you ever had a brain injury and they would go no and then I realized I had to go are you sure, sure. have you ever fallen out of a tree, fell off a fence, mm -hmm. dove into a shallow pool. I mean, those people who are listening, they go, oh, no, I never had a brain injury. But if you see it on the scan, pretty soon I'll find it. I had mm -hmm. one of my NFL players, Marvin Fleming, he played in five Super Bowls. And he's like, did you ever have a concussion, Marvin? He said, no. And his brain looked terrible. And I'm like, are you sure? Mm -hmm. um, and he was a starting tight end for 12 years. <laughs> yeah, of course. He's probably had like, concussions every game. <laughs> and and I'm like, well, what about before football? No. Nope. And then after about 10 questions, he goes, oh, I'm so sorry I lied to you. When I was in college, I was driving from Utah, where he played football, to California. We're on a mountain pass. They're in a Volkswagen bug. He's 6'7". And we got into an accident, and the car went off a cliff 150 feet into a riverbed below. I was knocked unconscious. And I'm looking up at him, and I'm like, how do you forget that? But rehabilitating his brain, mm -hmm. he not only lost like 60 pounds, but his cognitive function went way up. Mm -hmm. And my problem with the whole CTE thing, and I'm actually friends with Bennett Amalo who um, discovered it, is that's an autopsy diagnosis. Mm -hmm. There's really no way yet to diagnose it before you're dead. Mm -hmm. And I'm really not that interested in dead people. Um, SPECT mm -hmm. will tell you if you have the effects of traumatic brain injury really, I mean, right away. Mm -hmm. And we've scanned and treated 300 NFL players. I mean, cool ones like mm -hmm. Terry Bradshaw. And 80% of our players get better when we put them on a brain wow. rehabilitation program, which is what I talk about in the book. It's basically you attack each of these risk factors mm -hmm. as soon mm -hmm. as possible. What's up, guys? It's Will. As you probably know, my day job is consulting people around the world via webcam at my functional medicine health center. Normally, I'm consulting one-on-one, -on -one, but I'm really excited to announce the launch of my brand new Functional Medicine online group class. This virtual group class is my solution to continue making functional medicine more accessible and more affordable for people around the world. Designed as a starting point for those who are new to functional medicine, this online group class allows you to learn more about your health from a functional medicine perspective, equipping you with the knowledge and tools to improve your health. During the class, I will review the comprehensive blood labs that you have completed before the class and give an explanation of the optimal ranges for each and every marker and what it means for your health. You will also have a chance to privately ask me and my team questions and have them answered in real time. You will also receive your own takeaway list from your labs so you can refer to it at any time after the class. In addition, everyone in the class will receive customized action plans based on their lab results, personalized lifestyle recommendations, and a list of foods and supplements to focus on and foods to avoid, all based on your lab results. You will leave the class feeling empowered and educated about your wellness. Learn more at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. So the risk factors, like you said, it's the, the acronym Bright Minds, and you go through blood flow and aging and and infection and inflammation, all these really important factors. And then you, for each one of these risk factors, you talk about biological psychological, social, and spiritual, these sort of four circles to see each one of these risk factors. Can you explain that? Because I really feel like that's a powerful approach to mental health. So in the first week of medical school for me, our dean 
when he said never think of people as their diagnoses. Always see them in these four big circles. So what's their biology? And we're going to teach you all about biology. But mm -hmm. never forget they're more than their cells. Also think about their psychology or how they think, their development, you know, what's the psychological soup that they grew up in. And never forget their social circle. You become like the people you hang out with. Sure. And the spiritual circle, which most psychiatrists won't touch, but uh, I went to a Christian medical school or a Roberts University, and it's what's their deepest sense of meaning and purpose? Because purposeful people live longer. They'll also be more cooperative. And so we ask everybody about, so why do you care? Why are you on the planet? Mm -hmm. What do you want to accomplish? in your life because if you know that then your life is not all about you mm -hmm. it becomes about generations of you and most people don't know that when little girls are born um so i have three girls at home they were born with all of the eggs they'll ever have and their habits throughout their life turn on or off certain genes that make illness more or less likely in them but also in their babies and their grandbabies. So this health crisis is really serious because it's not about us. Literally, it's about the next three generations mm -hmm. of us. Right. You advocate in the book for us to know our brain type and you cover five main different brain types in the book and then you mentioned how most of us are combinations of these fives and i think there's 16 in total and i actually took the quiz the brain health assessment that you have online in preparation for our conversation today and i am for all the people that are wondering um, brain type 12 so uh what can you explain the brain types and then what the heck does brain type 12 mean for me am i a freak is there hope for me <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, when you start looking at the brain, you realize everybody's different. You know, females are way different than males. I published a study on 46,000 scans. The female brain is really busy compared to the male brain, which is why males go to jail 14 times more than females, because they worry more and they tend to have better decisions. Um, but I also saw there are people who had balanced brains, which are actually fairly rare, spontaneous brains, that's my ADD type, mm -hmm. um, persistent brains, when they get a thought, they have trouble letting it go, but you want your neurosurgeon to be like that. Um, the sensitive brain type, we make great therapists that they can be sad, and the cautious type who, like I showed up half an hour early for this because mm -hmm. I know the traffic here is terrible. Um, and so, you know, there are so always thinking ahead but can lean toward more anxiety. And then, you know, so six is impulsive, compulsive, or the spontaneous persistent. And through 16, they're combinations of uh, those five types. And so 12 has some anxiety, some sensitivity, um, and some persistence in it. And in the book, I, I, and if you go to brainhealthassessment.com, you can take the assessment. I talk about, well, what are the strengths of each mm -hmm. type and what are the vulnerabilities? Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully, all of us going more toward a balanced brain. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was very illuminating. It was definitely accurate. I do struggle with anxiety. I do. I am very persistent, relentless. So it's helpful. And you give through the quiz action steps of how to strengthen the weak parts of the brain to be balanced. Is that that's the the idea, right? That's it. And also with the quiz, it'll tell you well how healthy is your memory and how's mm -hmm. your sleep and uh, really. I was at the White House, I guess, about 18 months ago now, and we were talking about the opiate epidemic in America and the rise of mental illness. And uh, they asked me, it's like, Dr. Raymond, what's your big idea? We need 
If we want to end mental illness, we need to create a revolution in brain health. So like yeah. we did with mm -hmm. the Daniel Plan that is in thousands of churches around the world, I really want to create this revolution where mm -hmm. schools, businesses, churches, they're teaching um, people to fall in love with their brain. Nobody mm -hmm. cares about their brain. I didn't care about my right. brain. 1991, when I ordered my first spec scan, <laughs> I'm a double board certified psychiatrist. I was the top neuroscience student in medical school. I didn't care at all about my brain. I, I thought I was special because I could only, you know, I could work on four hours of sleep at night. And then mm -hmm. I realized I wasn't special. I was stupid. Uh, you know, that I was actually damaging mm -hmm. my brain with what I was eating and the habits I would engage in. And when I saw my scan, I fell in love with it. I'm like, no, I want this better. This mm -hmm. is not okay. And with a better brain, you get a better life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll t we'll touch on this earlier. And I love this idea that you know we we have for so long compartmentalized mental well being and physical well being as being two separate and not connected at all uh, entities. That our our physical health begins at the neck down. Um, and now there is obviously a movement towards understanding the integrative, um, the impact of, of the choices we make on a daily basis, our lifestyle choices, and how they impact our mental well-being. And I'm curious, I've heard um, anecdotally, and I've read some studies about uh, folks who have mapped the microbiome and the impact or the reflection of the microbiome and, and mental well-being. And seeing that there are um, some correlations in dysbiosis that fall in line with certain diagnoses. Have you seen that there is uh, a correlation between our, our immune system, our bacterial balance within our body, and our mental well-being? It's one of the most exciting areas of research right now, is that if your microbiome, so the 100 trillion bugs that populate your mm -hmm. gut, um, is not healthy, you're more likely to be anxious. Mm -hmm. You're more likely to get depressed. Um, and think about this. When, um, so you know, I just think about my own children, mm -hmm. the things I wish I would have known, mm -hmm. that my son who I adopted had chronic ear infections and he had to have tubes put in his ears, which means he had a lot antibiotics. of antibiotics. Yeah. And you know, if I would have known then what I know now, first mm -hmm. thing is take him off dairy because he's mm -hmm. probably sensitive to it and it's driving some of the mucus and the ear infection mm -hmm. that he has. And then repopulate his gut. But you know, he was a child that ended up struggling in school. And you know, when you don't know better, you right. can go try harder. If only you tried harder, right. you would do better when it has nothing to do with attitude or motivation. It could have been we were damaging his mm -hmm. microbiome completely unintentionally. And then another one of my babies was born by a C-section, which means her microbiome didn't get populated right. properly and her mother couldn't breastfeed her. And so there's like two whacks. And mm -hmm. she was my hyperactive little one. I used to say trying to hold her when she was a baby was like trying to hold a live salmon. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> repairing their microbiome is so important. And I put the whole microbiome discussion in the book in the chapter on inflammation. Mm -hmm. Because if your microbiome's not healthy, you end up with this thing called leaky gut, mm -hmm. which things get in your body that shouldn't be there. And then your body, your immune system creates an inflammatory response that can make you more likely to be depressed or even demented. It's fascinating. You mentioned in the book and recommend that we know important health numbers uh, for our bodies and recheck them on a yearly uh, basis to prevent brain health problems. Can What are the top markers that you recommend for us to know? So it's so important. Uh, Peter Drucker, the famous business consultant, said you can't change what you don't measure. And uh, I find when people know their important numbers, they really get much more serious about their health. So, for example, people should know their cholesterol. Um, and I think we have cholesterol backwards in that we're trying to go low, low, low cholesterol, mm -hmm. except it's the mother hormone. It mm -hmm. makes and helps you make mm -hmm. hormones. Please don't go low. It makes up a great deal Especially of your for brain health, brain <laughs> yeah. of the cell membranes. And... 
under 160 is associated with homicide, suicide, um, and death from all causes, depression. Mm -hmm. So you should know your cholesterol. You sh I think you should fractionate LDL. People think of LDL as bad cholesterol and HDL mm -hmm. as good cholesterol. It's way more complicated than that. Everyone should know their C-reactive protein. protein measure of inflammation. They should know their blood pressure uh, on a regular basis. As blood pressure goes up, blood flow to the brain goes down. Um, I think they should also know their hormone levels, uh, especially free and total testosterone, even if you're a girl, because low testosterone is not only associated with low libido, it's also associated with depression, low motivation, low memory. It's really important, along with thyroid and DHEA, vitamin D, which is just rampant low mm -hmm. in people. I, mean, I live in Southern California. The sun's always out. Mm -hmm. And normal is between 30 and 100. When I first measured mine, it was 17. And people who are below 20, have have double the risk of cancer. Think about this. Mm -hmm. People who are below wow. 20 have double the risk of cancer as those who are over 40. So I try to keep mine and my patients, you know, somewhere between 60 and 100. And what's interesting about vitamin D is when vitamin D is low, the hormone leptin doesn't work. You become leptin resistant. And I was just always hungry. I always carried mm -hmm. about 20 or 30 pounds more than I should. And when I normalized my vitamin D level, my appetite went away. And that's true for a lot of my patients. I think people should also know the omega-3 index. It's low in like 90% of people. It's suboptimal mm -hmm. because we're not eating um, enough healthy fish. Mm -hmm. And so taking fish oil is generally really important. And you should also know how much you sleep at night because less than seven hours can cause problems in the brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love I love that you talk about um, not stigmatizing uh, weight gain too, and not looking at it as the as though you know we're so vain in so many ways. But understanding that obesity and weight gain can be are, are rather than being a problem unto themselves, are symptomatic of other problems, and then they in turn lead to further problems in, in our well being. And it, you know it's curious that even things like you just mentioned it now, low vitamin D levels can can lead to to weight gain, and not enough sleep can lead to weight gain. And yet we kind of part we 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 segmented as though if you're overweight, it's simply because you eat too much, that you have no self control and you eat too much. Well, it's a war. My wife and I do a podcast called the Brain Warriors Way mm -hmm. podcast because we just see what's happening in society is a war everywhere you go. Someone's trying to put bad food down your throat mm -hmm. that will kill you early. Yep. That's engineered by scientists to addict your brain. When mm -hmm. Blaze mm -hmm. Potato Chips came out and said, "Bet you can't eat just one," I mean, they were put, putting the addiction <laughs> yeah. in our face. Yeah. Um, but I think you know. Weight's just really complicated, and one of the things that is really underappreciated is toxic load that damages your pancreas, and mm -hmm. so your pancreas can't respond right, mm -hmm. and you're hungry all the time um, because your insulin levels are unbalanced. Right, and, you become resistant. Yeah, and uh, an app I like called Think Dirty, which allows you to scan all of your personal products, and it'll tell you on a scale of 1 to 10 how quickly they're killing you. Mm -hmm. And I think our toxic load is so high, and they're actually called obesogens. They're causing us to retain weight. But this weight problem is a big problem. In fact, if you're overweight, you have five of the 11 risk factors. Mm -hmm. So think of it. If you're overweight, I already said, blood flow to your brain is going down. So that's one. Um, the fat on your belly produces something called inflammatory cytokines mm -hmm. that increase inflammation. So that's two. Um, it stores toxins. Fat stores toxins. So that's three. Um, four, it turns healthy testosterone into unhealthy cancer-promoting forms 
of estrogen. Mm-hmm. So that's four. And then the diobesity makes five. And I just think we have to be so serious. The reason to get to a healthy weight is you don't want to damage your brain. Right. One of my favorite parts of the book is this case study of one of your patients that I think think he was diagnosed with ADHD. And you take that example and you go through the whole history of psych- psychiatric medicine uh, from 6500 BC mm-hmm. and what they would do to somebody with ADHD or a mental health uh, issue, uh, like things like trepanation, things I've never heard of before where they would drill a hole in <laughs> someone's skull to let out the evil spirits yeah. and take them through the 20th century where, where people were being institutionalized and sterilized and I mean really fascinating or severing the prefrontal shed. cortex with a with a needle or a rod yeah, through the, the nose the yeah can with you explain a little bit an about that and, yeah, I love Jared um, he was eight when I first met him um, he was diagnosed with ADHD uh-huh. in preschool he was scary. He had a bad temper. He did terrible in school. Um, in third grade, the teacher said, you need to lower your expectations because he's never going to do well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was put on five different stimulant medications for ADHD. So I'm like, okay, who had the learning problem? Was it him or was it the doctor? You know, right. if, you, if, <laughs> yeah. if two of the stimulants make you worse, you should be thinking about something else. <laughs> And um, they wanted to put him on an antipsychotic medication. And that's when his mother, who knew my wife, called her and said, help. And when we scanned him, he didn't have the pattern. So I'm not opposed to ADHD medication for Mm -hmm. certain patterns in the brain. It stimulates the brain. But he had a pattern we call the ring of fire, which is his brain worked way too hard. Mm -hmm. So why would you give him a stimulant? That's like putting gasoline on a fire. And so on some natural supplements and brain um, and elimination diet and some parent training, he just did so much better. Mm-hmm. He's now been on the honor roll um, or the dean's list. He's in college now uh, for 10 straight years. And he wants to be a firefighter. And I was out to dinner with him at an event. And I'm like, so why do you want to be a firefighter? And he said, on someone's worst day, I want to make it better. Wow. <laughs> just made me cry because we changed the trajectory of his life. Mm-hmm. But through the years, how would they have treated him? Well, 6,500 years ago, they would have drilled a hole in his skull to let mm-hmm. the evil spirits out. No, that's ouch. Um, 400 BC, Hippocrates actually would have done the best for him. He would have put him in a job that fit his restless nature. He'd have changed his diet. He'd really ramped up his exercise. I mean, really would have treated him holistically. And then he would have bled him to release the excessive fluids. Okay, I'm not a fan of bleeding. In the Middle Ages, they likely would have put him in an asylum and Mm -hmm. chained and perhaps beaten him, uh, blistered him, purged him. Not good. In the 18th and 19th centuries, again, another asylum. But now they would have placed his family under suspicion in the eugenics program because they begin to realize that mental health issues have a genetic component. But you're also raised by this people in the same toxic mm-hmm. soup. Right. So that could be why they have yeah. a genetic Nurture. component. And then Freud would have put him on the couch four or five times mm-hmm. a week to talk about his internal conflicts, and that wouldn't have worked. And then in the 1950s, they might have done a prefrontal lobotomy. The right. guy that came up with prefrontal mm-hmm. lobotomy got the, the Nobel guy. Prize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he would have put an ice pick up through the roof of yeah. his orbit, his eye socket, and damaged his frontal lobes. Um, and it would have calmed his aggression, mm-hmm. but completely ruined his personality. Right. And then in the 60s, he might have been given electric shock therapy, mm-hmm. um, not the kind of buzz he would like. And and now it's just, you know, this medicine, that medicine, 15-minute med checks, mm-hmm. uh it's just insanity that mm-hmm. continues. And, and and if I'm right, and I, and I truly believe I am, then why isn't everybody else doing it? It's mm-hmm. an imp- yeah. important question because if I'm right, it means the DSM, the Diagnostic mm-hmm. and Statistical Manual that 40,000 psychiatrists mm-hmm. in the United States and more around the world use – 
is not the right way to diagnose well, people. I think the DSM, even DSM-4, which is not that long ago, listed homosexuality as as like a, a, a mental illness. Not four, but three. Three, three. yeah, three DSM-3, did. yeah. And, um, and they voted on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not science when you're voting <laughs> on, you know, th- th- this lifestyle is, uh-huh. is a mental illness. We, we have hurt ourselves as psychiatrists so much. It's like mm-hmm. we just continue to shoot ourselves in the foot. We're the only medical specialty that never looks at the organ it treats. And they call me crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who else acts like that? Um, and for me, imaging just changed everything. And it really, it didn't lead me to more medicine. It mm-hmm. actually led me to meth- less medicine and more vegetables. You touch you touch on this in the book a little bit towards the end, um, and I'm really curious because this is something that is now forefront of the conversation around mental well being and, and treatment, the idea of uh, of psychedelics and treatment. And I know anecdotally, um, I mean, I have a family member who struggles has struggled severely with anxiety and PTSD, and was on SSRIs, was on benzos for years and years and years, and. Over the course of two years doing ketamine treatment and then actually cycling off of ketamine to um, acupuncture has been able to get off of all the SSRIs and get his anxiety in check. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. And I know that there are also, we, didn't, we haven't done long longitudinal studies, so we don't really know the long-term effects of it, but there seems to be a relatively high level of efficacy with some of these now, what were considered fringe treatments. I mean, obviously LSD was developed initially or was used for a long time in the 50s and 60s for the treatment of of, um, of, of mental health. What are your thoughts on it and where do you think we're gonna be going with, with psychedelics? So I'm very concerned when the new innovations in psychiatry are things that have been thought of as street drugs. Mm-hmm. and you know, marijuana going everywhere and basically being seen as innocuous when it's not. It increases the risk of psychosis mm-hmm. in teenagers 450%. And I published a study on a thousand pot smokers. Every area of their brain was lower in blood flow. Um, I saw that. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm not crazy though. The, there is some impressive research with ketamine. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem with ketamine and, and I've had some patients that have had really good responses, and I've had a lot of patients who've not had really good responses, is that we can actually block the effect of ketamine with naltrexone, which is an opiate blocker. Hmm. So somehow opi- uh, the ketamine is also working on the opiate, the opiate receptor response. side. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to be a good thing long term, mm-hmm. is that you're really using an opiate pathway to do it. Now... If they've tried all of the bright mind strategies and we've really planted brain health and someone still is struggling with suicidal ideation, I'm like a huge fan of ketamine. But have we done the right things first? And too mm-hmm. often because mm-hmm. how sexy it is, people are right. going to like go, well, I want to do that first right. before they've actually gotten rid of corn to mm-hmm. see if corn may be driving an allergy that's affecting their brain. I've had mm-hmm. this one, I have this great case I talk about it in the book of this guy who'd failed ECT, failed multiple antidepressants, and I convinced him to do an elimination diet. And mm-hmm. he gave me a lot of grief about it. And I'm like, come on, you've tried all of these things. Give me a month. Right. And in three weeks, he's better, like his depression lifted. And then we started, okay, well, let's add back things and see if we can find the culprit. We added back gluten, nothing mm-hmm. happened. We added back dairy, nothing happened. We added back corn. Within 20 minutes, he said, he had a vision of a gun in his mouth pulling the trigger. And like, break up with corn. Mm -hmm. He said, but I like popcorn. I'm like, but it doesn't (laughs) like you back, (laughs) right? You're an abusive relationship with popcorn. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges is that to follow that, that, that pathway is very uh, runs counter to what our culture tells us that we have a problem we want I, I call it um, APS Amazon Prime Syndrome we want what we want <laughs> we want it now I feel like shit right now I'm depressed I let me do this treatment it's going to be a miracle treatment I'm going to be fine 
rather than, okay, I need to reassess my relationship with food. I need to go through follow-up program and really care for myself. And and generally speaking, the 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 response it's longer in in actually achieving the response, but it's much more. Uh, it has much greater longevity, and and I've seen certainly in my own health changing my own relationship with food. While it didn't immediately rectify my my autoimmune dysfunction, over time it did, and the long term it's much more manageable, and 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 it's it's something that I can actually I don't have to be on meds my whole life. Right. And I think it's sustainable. And that's something I think is really hard for a lot of us to, we, we, as you said, like the sexy treatment is to, to do X, Y, Z because we think it's just going to fix what's broken, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't obviously always address the root cause. Well, and I want people to feel better fast, uh, but I want it to last. Yeah. And, uh, I like APS. I think that's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's exactly the society we live in, mm -hmm. but it's hurting us, and we need to be more thoughtful. If we're going to get on top of ending mental illness, mm -hmm. um, it's not going to be with the quick fix pills. It's just not. I mean, we've tried that since 1987 when Prozac was approved by the FDA. Depression has gone up 400%. Mm. It's not fixing. So it's not working now. It's, it's, yeah, it's not working out. It's a disaster. Since 1999, um, cancer has gone down 27%, but suicide has gone up 33%. Mm -hmm. Why? We're working on the wrong paradigm. The end of mental illness says this is a bad paradigm. We need to break it mm -hmm. and start over. And we start over with brain health. Who does that hurt? That doesn't hurt anybody. Right. <laughs> it helps our society that's clearly going in the wrong direction. What are your yeah. thoughts on, on cognitive behavioral therapy? I'm a huge fan. But I want you – so that's really – when I talk about ant therapy, mm -hmm. uh, automatic negative thoughts, it's a form of cognitive behavior therapy mm -hmm. or CBT. But think of it this way. If your computer has hardware problems, will software fix it? Probably not. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have to optimize the physical functioning of the brain. So that's the biological circle. And once you do that, psychotherapy can be so effective. I'm mm -hmm. like a huge fan of psychotherapy. And I think of myself as a psychotherapist. But I want to optimize your brain because then we can program it better. And oh, by the way, if I optimize your brain, your social circle is better because you don't act like an ass. Um, and your spiritual circle is better because you're more able to live your purpose because the hardware that allows you to focus and follow through is better. Mm -hmm. But we, we live in a society where we just don't think about the brain. We have these vague notions, oh, you have a neurotransmitter disorder here, let's boost your serotonin. And you don't know what you're really dealing with Lyme disease or mm -hmm. a traumatic right. brain injury or um, Toxicity, you work yeah. in an environmental, environmentally toxic uh, workplace. I really love so many different pieces in that in that conversation. His book is really fascinating. I mean, just the idea that we're not talking about mental illness, we're talking about brain health, the idea of, mm -hmm. um, and I, I just, I, I love that that's kind of integrative and it's it's more of an uplifting approach than, than looking at this notion mm -hmm. there's something fundamentally wrong with someone who's experiencing poor brain health. Totally. Um, and th there's so much good information in that episode and the book was rich with that this mm -hmm. information information that really can help so many people when you look at the statistics of brain health problems it really is such a great resource yeah. and, and th th one of my favorite parts in the book and in the conversation was the history of psychiatry and mm -hmm. history of what we would have done as humans throughout the course uh, of time treating yeah brain health problems yeah, yeah it's really crazy and he's producing good outcomes i mean these the statistics in the book he says 84 percent of these complex treatment resistant mm -hmm. patients doing his system report feeling better after six months so yeah. it really is good evidence-based uh, approach a holistic approach to mental health so you could learn more about dr amen and his work at danielamenmd.com that's a-m-e-n and make sure to grab a copy of his book, The End of Mental Illness, available now. 
Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. Here we go. Here's another Ask Me Anything from Tina. She wants to know, what's your favorite way to spend a Saturday? Oh, man. For me, it's doing as little as possible and just resting. I rarely get to do that because that's typically my day home with my family. So it's mm-hmm. it's acti- different family activities, which is fun, but I would like to chill more. The chill doesn't happen as much as I would like, but mm-hmm. that would be my favorite way is to just chill and and uh, hang out with my family. Do you do you suffer from this thing that I just recently learned about called Sunday scaries? Uh, what is that? Is that like dread of a dread Monday of Monday? Or? Yeah, it's like it's uh, it's Sunday and you can't really enjoy. I th- I think. I mean, don't get me. I'm I'm probably too old to be answering this question, but I I <laughs> I think it's that you can't really enjoy the downtime on Sunday because you're dreading the fact that tomorrow is going to be Monday. No, I don't have that. I really enjoy my job. So I, I don't dread it for sure, but I mm-hmm. do appreciate rest. And I think that's what it, what it is for me is yeah. I, I, uh, I do appreciate the rest and I know the importance of it. And I'm trying to practice what I teach and try to bring some more, uh, acts of stillness in my life. But how about you? What would be a great Saturday for you? Uh, a perfect Saturday for me would be wake up early, hopefully with the sunrise. I like to have as much time as I can awake on Saturday because it's a great day to just disconnect and to really enjoy. Then go to the farmer's market, get lots of produce. Uh, actually, you know what I probably would do first? I would go for a long and hard bike ride early, and then I go to the farmer's market and then spend the afternoon cooking and had folks over for dinner and maybe watch a movie or go for a walk, um, but keep it mellow. Yeah, I love it. I, mine is so pathetic compared to yours. I literally want to do nothing, and you're always <laughs> fucked. Oh, I'm the, I'm the worst on vacation. Like, I can't actually – I am terrible at sitting around and doing nothing. Whenever I have free uh, time, and there, I always make a list of a bazillion things that I want to do. But in a weird oh, way, that's I'm kind of – I'm great at nothing. That's my therapy. That's my, like, my own meditation yeah. is doing things. Someone recently said to me, and I think this is true, that, that – for in in the west sports is meditation and in many ways i think that's true like we mm, we yeah. um you know we 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 use physical activity as a way to let the the mind kind of let everything else just go away and just be focused on one thing that's it for today thanks for hanging out with us will and i would love to know what you think about goop fellas if you have a chance please rate and review the podcast here and if you like what you're hearing hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend to see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellows. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.